and welcome to our new series, Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty Judah. I'm Kimberly with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is Monty. And we're here to answer the questions that have been pouring in, Monty. We're getting hundreds of them. So let's get started. Right All first. right. The first question comes to us from a young lady who has recently come into the Messianic faith and is trying to find the truth about a couple of scriptures that were presented as proof, she says, that we do not have to follow Torah now that we're in the New Testament era. The source that is confusing her was a TikTok video made by someone who references Jeremiah 31, 31 and 34, Galatians 3, 23 through 25, and Romans 10, 4 as scriptures that specifically teach us that now that the Messiah has come, we're not under the law any longer. So she asked for her help in clearing up that confusion for her. All right, so we have printed these verses out that they cited. Let me review those very quickly so we know exactly what we're talking about. Jeremiah 31 is the famous prophecy of the new covenant to be given. Beginning at verse 31, it reads as follows. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their hearts I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So let's address this passage here first of all. This is not a prophecy about when the Messiah comes that he can establish the church and not deal with Israel anymore. In fact, this is a passage that says the new covenant is going to be given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It doesn't say it's given to the Gentiles in the church. Furthermore, it says that it will be for all of Israel. Right. Okay? That's what the prophecy said. The new covenant was given. When Yeshua was at the Last Supper, at the Passover Seder with his disciples, and he instituted the new covenant, what did he use? He used the elements of the Passover that was part of the covenant when God brought Israel out of Egypt. That's what he's saying. He's making the comparison when I brought them out of Egypt. Well, we all know the story. They came out of Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai, and God wrote his commandments on two tablets of stone, and he gave them to Israel. He said, this time, I'm going to make it real personal. I'm going to take those commandments that I wrote on stone, and I'm going to write them on the tablets of your heart this time. Did he say he was going to change the commandments? No. no. It's the same commandments, only it's now very personal to us. When God made a covenant with Israel, it was what we call a corporate covenant. He made it with the whole group. He made it with the whole nation. But when the Messiah came, he took that same covenant and he made it personal for each one of us. That's not a change. That's, a, that's making it even better. And that's the reason why it's called the renewed covenant or the new covenant. And, and with this, we get the confidence to know God personally, and we have the forgiveness of sins. 
But we have not yet reached the day when I don't have to go to somebody and say to know the Lord. We're still in the business of going around sharing the gospel and telling people to know the Lord. Yes. So th did that passage of scripture say, hey, when the Messiah comes, we're going to do away with the other covenant? No, it talked about the new things we're going to do with this covenant, which is likened to the covenant before. By the way, how long is this covenant, if you read further, how long is this covenant supposed to last? As long as there is a sun, a moon, and stars. As long as we have a sun, moon, and stars, this covenant remains in effect, the new covenant. By the way, what is the standard for the covenant that God made with Israel? What is this as long as the sun, moon, and stars exist, this covenant will be forever. What, where do we get the idea that new replaces the other one or makes the other go away? Quite honestly, it's because of some of our cultural stuff. We think that if you get a new thing, it renders the other one obsolete. You buy a car, you get a new car. Oh, well, you get rid of the old car. Right. That's not what the Hebrew means. It means renewed. It means refreshed, I mean even filled up to be even more. When the Messiah said, I, can't, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it, he meant to enhance it, make it even greater, which, by the way, that's exactly what the Messiah does. He takes all of the previous teachings and he makes them, he fills them up even more so. Let's look at the other two verses that were mentioned here. Galatians 3, 23 through 25 says, But before faith came... We were kept in custody under the law, being shut up in the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to the Messiah, so that we may be justified by faith, that now the faith has come, we no longer under a tutor. All right, so let's talk about what Paul is trying to explain here. If you are instructed in the law, and you learn about the Torah, let me tell you what is the one subject the Torah is teaching you. It's teaching you that, there, that you have sinned, that there are, there are laws that God has made. You violated these laws. By the way, because you have sinned, there's a penalty for sin, so that you understand the need to have a Savior. And oh, by the way, the Torah speaks of who the Savior is going it, to... That's where we get the prophecies of the Lamb of God that's going to come, that's going to be the sacrifice, that's where we learn all about the looking for a Redeemer. When the children of Israel were in the land and Yeshua showed up, they were looking for a Redeemer. Yes. They're looking for a Messiah. Why? Because the law taught that. And they were anticipating and looking for him to come because the law had told them to look for it to come. The, the goal of the Torah is the Messiah. The Messiah is not a replacement for it. You know, let me give you a point of logic. So here's the laws of God, and they reveal sin. You know, sin is the transgression of the law. That's what the Bible says. So uh, I realize I have sin, okay, and there's a penalty to sin. And I don't want to suffer the penalty. I, I want forgiveness. So I find out that God, the Torah also says, he's going to give me a Messiah. He's going to give me a sacrifice that will cover that, and I'll receive forgiveness of sin. Good. I now understand I have this problem and I need a Savior. So I reach out and I ask for the Savior. Okay? Now, let's get rid of the law. We have the Savior. We have the Messiah. Let's get rid of the law. How's the next person supposed to know that they have sinned and that they need a Savior? They won't. They don't. I find it very convenient 
that now we have a few believers who believe in the Messiah, they say, okay, all that other previous instruction that we got from God, we don't need that anymore. You've got to be kidding me. That's like a college graduate saying, I don't need to know about arithmetic anymore. That's, you know, a physicist, a mathematician. I don't need to know about algebra. Really? You're, now that you're now a physicist, you can say, well, let's just dismiss algebra. Nobody needs to learn about algebra anymore because I know about physics. That's ridiculous. And these instructions are still valid. And by the way, as Galatians says, it leads us to the Messiah. If something is leading you to the Messiah and teaching people to reach out to the Messiah, isn't that a good thing? I thought that was what we're doing. We're supposed to be sharing the Messiah with other people. You know how to share the Messiah with other people? Share with them the commandments and the laws of God. And so they need, they have sin and they need a Savior. So they'll ask the question, where can I find a Savior? Where can I find forgiveness? So the idea that you've turned this all around and said, oh, well, see, this is a proof we don't need that anymore in my opinion, is utterly ridiculous. And it's the opposite of what Paul was trying to say. Finally, we have Romans 10, 4. This is the one I really love. For the Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Okay, the end of the law. That's not what it says in the original language. Greek, it says, yes, for the Messiah is the goal of the law. Now, the end of the law is when you get to the goal. So they use the term end of the law because that fit the theology of the people who did the translation. The, the, the actual language means the goal of the law. The whole purpose for the law was to get you to the Messiah. And that's exactly what Moses did. He wrote the law, and it explains to us the need for the Messiah, the looking for the Messiah to come, even Jacob said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Amen. From the very beginning, they were looking for in the hope of a Redeemer that would come because it was revealed to them that we have all transgressed God's commandments. We're all worthy of the wages of sin is death. And that's what Paul's trying to, but he says the justification is by the example of Abraham. Abraham's faith was counted for righteousness. So that's how you get that. That's how you get to salvation. You believe in the promises of God, the biggest promise God's given to us. I will give you a, a, a lamb of God. It'll be the sacrifice for you. So when I believe that, my faith is counted for righteousness. And by faith, I'm saved. That's what the law teaches. But we have a lot of teachers today in Christianity. They don't know what the Torah teaches. They don't know what Paul was talking about in Romans when he talks about justification by faith using the example of Abraham. And they certainly twist the words of Paul, which, by the way, I would remind you that Peter said there are some men, unstable, untaught, who twist what Paul has written to their own destruction. Galatians 3, that has been quoted here, has been twisted to the exact opposite meaning, along with a whole bunch of other things that Paul said. They're, it's not going to work. This is not going to work. Can I give one more example? Well, the Torah teaches us some basic rules of life. There's clean and unclean. So it says, for example, an unclean animal, say, is pig. And the inference of the law is you're not supposed to eat that. So the Messiah comes along and he saves them. Okay. 
as a result of the Messiah coming along and I having faith that he's the sacrifice for me and I get forgiveness of sin, did he change the definition of pig? Did he suddenly make pig now as clean? That has not changed. That didn't change when the Messiah came. So let's see, what are you going to call food? Are you going to call, now that you believe in the Messiah, oh, that means I get to call unclean things clean and I get to go ahead and eat them now. I'm going to change, I get to change the rules of God for life because I have the Messiah now. I don't believe anywhere that the Messiah ever taught that. The apostles certainly didn't teach that. And so that's a twisting of the scripture to air. It's simple air. And we need to get back to just listening to what the Lord says instead of listening to what men say. Yes. About what the yes Lord says. Yes and amen to that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right. Our second question is from Gina, and others have asked this same question as well. It's about the abomination of desolation. She has been watching for the red heifer and the sacrifices, but it occurred to her that perhaps the starting up of the sacrifices themselves could be the abomination since Yeshua died for our sins is the ultimate sacrifice. Her question is, wouldn't restarting animal sacrifices again not be pleasing to him? She asked for help in understanding this. Right. Well, the first of all, let's define what the abomination of desolation is. The abomination of desolation in the scripture is specifically the cessation of the daily sacrifice. And when the altar is up and operating, the priests are operating, in the morning, the first sacrifice to go on the altar is a morning lamb, along with a libation offering and a meal offering. And the last sacrifice to be on the altar of the day in the evening is the, called the evening lamb. It's the same service, the same uh, presentation. And that particular sacrifice is what establishes the altar. This is an altar set up to God, okay? When that is stopped, according to God, then that altar ceases to be an operating altar for the Lord, okay? So the abomination of desolation is when they come in and they stop a proper altar from being used. Okay, it's not starting the daily sacrifice, it's the cessation of the daily, that's the abomination of desolation. But let's be realistic. We have a lot of people in their theology that think that since the Messiah came, he's quote, the final sacrifice, and therefore, anybody starting a new animal sacrifice afterwards, that would be an abomination. Well, excuse me. If I go back and I remember historically, let's see, we think the Messiah was offered up about 30 AD, maybe 33 AD. Did you know that the apostles went to the temple with sacrifices for the next 40 years? Historically, it wasn't until 70 AD the temple was destroyed and the altar was shut down. So they were all going and making sacrifices and worshiping God according to the way for 40 years after the resurrection. So if, there was, if that's an abomination, that's a terrible thing to do, why they were all guilty for 40 years of having done that. Now, let's back up from that. So was the Messiah the final sacrifice? The answer is no. He was the Lamb of God sacrifice. Now, there's sacrifices brought by men, and those are the ones that are described in the Torah. 
a guilt offering, a sin offering, a free will votive offering, a whole burnt offering, you know, there's a whole series of them. However, the sacrifice that God brings is himself. And Messiah came and offered himself as a sacrifice. We couldn't bring that sacrifice. I can't bring a sacrifice for my sins, my willful defiant sins, worthy of death, according to God's law. But he can bring a sacrifice for me that can do it. Now, could this, since that day, that sacrifice from the Lamb of God has perpetually been saving people throughout the generations up to this present day. That sacrifice is still regarded by God as having been offered for them. It's timeless. Okay, so if we get back to the point where we start setting up the altar of God and the temple according to the way it was set up before, before the Romans came in and destroyed it, what, where do we get the idea that suddenly that's a bad thing? It's because the church has so departed from the original instruction, and they've set themselves up as a substitute for it, and quite honestly did not understand what God was going to be doing with that, that they never realized, oh my gosh, the end-time prophecy that we've been told that will bring the end of the ages is there is going to be an operating altar, there will be priests, there will be offering the morning and evening lambs, and suddenly that altar is going to get shut down because everybody's opposed to it, and God says the day they shut it down, that's the abomination of desolation, and then there will be great tribulation. Now, I'm telling you, let me back up from this, and let me just tell you what I fear is going to happen. The altar is not operating at the moment. But there is great interest in Israel to do it. I mean, they have gathered the stones. The priests are being trained. We know Israel wants to get a piece of the Temple Mount. They want to be able to set it up. But not yet. We haven't seen it happen yet. But let's say in the near future that that happens. I fully expect a whole bunch of misinformed Christians as soon as they see the Jews setting up the altar and they start doing the daily sacrifice again, I am absolutely convinced the whole of them will be opposed to it for exactly these stated reasons. I think you're probably They're going to be wrong. The abomination is the shutting of it down, not the setting up of it. And, oh, by the way, God has some very, very strong words about speaking against that altar, because that altar, when it's set up, is God's ownership symbol of the whole world and everything in it. When you deny that, you're saying God is not the owner of this earth and everything in it. The first words ever spoken over the altar comes from Psalms 24, when they ordain it. The earth is Lord's and the fullness thereof. When you shut that altar down, you're denying those words. You're saying the earth is not the Lord's and the fullness. Now, that's the reason why that event is going to start the Great Tribulation. It's a dispute. Who owns the world and everybody in it? Does the devil own it or does God own it? Right. And some people believe also that the abomination of desolation is the, actually the Antichrist stepping into the temple or at stepping well, into that's, the altar. That's the second part. The abomination of desolation prophecy has two elements. Shutting down of the altar, the setting up of the image of him that speaks. 
and the declaration of the Antimacide. There's two elements to it. They're not necessarily exactly on the same day, but they're in a short period of time, they basically happen together and they're associated with the Temple Mount, things that happen there. So when we hear about that, you know, go back and read what Daniel says about the abomination of desolation. Read what Yeshua said there in Matthew 24 about it. And it's clear there as to what we're looking for. Daniel chapter 12 emphatically says the shutting down of the altar and the setting up of the image, that's the abomination of desolation. Wow. So she's hopefully now clear on, on what that is and what to be watching for. She was wa she's been watching for the red heifer. Well, let's talk about the red heifer just a moment since she brought that up. The red heifer is so that they get a mature heifer, they sacrifice, it's a whole burnt offering. They collect the ash, and the ash, they take a pinch of ash, and they put it in the water with a hyssop branch. They sprinkle the priesthood, and this is the ritual to separate them from any contact of anything dead, because God only permits that which is alive to present the blood of the animals, the life of the animals before him. And he forbids you to having contact with a, a dead person without going through this procedure before you come before him. And so they need it to be able to purify the priest so they can do the altar service. If you and I were to go over to Jerusalem and go before the altar and, and, and so forth, we too would have to go through that because in the course of my lives, I've had to bury uh, family members and friends and so forth. I've come into contact. And so God wants a separation between any death and life when you come before him, he's all about life. So that's the reason why that procedure is. So that's of great interest to us because that's another one of the requirements that would be able to purify the priest, which we could then get to building the altar and, and those procedures. Wonderful. Well, hopefully that clears up Gina's question and her confusion about that and she'll have a better understanding. Our last question today is from Charlie. He's new to the Messianic faith and needs clarification about working on the Sabbath. He's been out of work for a while. He's been wanting to provide for his family, but he's come into knowing about the Sabbath and the, the rules about not working on Sabbath. So he's very distraught. He doesn't know whether he should turn down this new job that he's been offered, which will require him to work on Saturday and look for a different job, but, it, but he's torn about providing for his family. So he asks, Please help him to reconcile that. All right. So th this is a typical question that comes for a lot of messianics when you start keeping the Sabbath and you suddenly have to alter your weekly routine right. that you've been living. And most of us have been living where we didn't honor the Sabbath. We didn't keep the Sabbath. So it's a change, mm -hmm. you know, for a messianic to do it. Let me give you um, some of the first instruction with regard to Sabbath. Sabbath is a day in which you are to cease from your labors. It's a day to rest. There's several commandments associated with it, but they all home down for one reason. It's to rest. Avoid uh, long travel. Mm -hmm. Don't make your servant work. Other kinds of things like that. It all has to do with stop, rest, have your soul to be refreshed you know, before the Lord. We all know we need to rest and take a break once in a while. Well, God has said, hey, the Sabbath was designed for you, for you to cease from your labors and rest. We all agree to do it. 
God rested himself, you know, on the seventh day after he created the heavens and the earth. Now, the next thing we need to know is that he's called for us to keep the Sabbath. And by the way, this was given to mankind. Yes. Sabbath was created before there ever was a law, before there ever was a Noah or an Abraham or whatever. And so they all knew about Sabbath before the Torah ever came about and Moses came about. So it's a commandment for mankind. Mm -hmm. It's not just for the Jews. Right. It's for all people of the world. Part of the creation, understanding that he's the creator and so forth. Now, this, the next thing I want to tell you is that we have instruction and this is very clear instruction that Paul gives, no man is to be your judge concerning how you keep the Sabbath or any other celebration such as the new moon or any festival or feast of the Lord. Mm -hmm. No man is to be your judge. In other words, another man is not supposed to come and tell you, oh, this is the way you have to keep the commandment. That is, that's up to you and God. Mm -hmm. The commandment, the basic commandment is you shall rest. Now, to what standard? How extensively? Does that mean that I can be in my house? I'm not at my primary job. What if I want to watch a football game? Mm -hmm. What if I want to go to congregation? It's a little bit laborious to walk there. You know, how do I do this? And there's other things associated with it. But the bottom line is the scripture teaches this, and Paul emphatically teaches this. Let no man be your judge. So as you're posing the question to you, let me just tell you right up front, I'm not going to tell you how to answer that question. What I am going to do is I'm going to tell you, you go back and you talk to the Lord about it and you say, Lord, I would like to keep your commandment. I would like to have a job so that I don't have to work on the Sabbath, so I can honor the Sabbath and so forth. And most messianics go through this stage where they go through that prayer and lo and behold, guess what happens? God gets them a job where they don't have to work on the Sabbath. Praise the Lord. So you're obeying to the Lord and you're telling the Lord what you want to do. And by the way, the Lord will listen to that prayer. He wants you to obey him too. So he'll help you with it. But let's take the case of that. Let's say that your conditions are a little bit more difficult and you really need that income. I mean, you've got to provide for your family and you don't have anything else. And what, do you, what in the world are you going to do? Well, lo and behold, I got to tell you about one of the greatest commandments. It's at the end of the Torah in which that Moses instructed us that you shall live by these commandments. In other words, if you suddenly find yourself faced in a situation where I have to do this to live, mm -hmm. and it seems to be at odds with something else God has said, he's saying, go and do that which causes you to live. In other words, that trumps. Let me give you a case in point on Sabbath. Let's say that you have an ox and it's fallen into a ditch. And if you don't help that ox get out of the ditch, that, that ox is going to die. Yes. For the life of the ox, I don't care if it is Sabbath, you will go and rescue that ox and do all the labor that is necessary to deliver the life of the ox. Yes. Okay? So God says, you shall live by these commandments. And at the same time, I want you to rest. Now, surely we are smart enough to make the determination in your own life, what do I have to do to live? Mm -hmm. Now, if that's the only job you have and you need to provide for your family, go do what you need to do to live yes. and then ask God 
hey, God, I really would like to keep that commandment. Could we work it out to where I could have a job so I could do that? Or I want to be in fellowship with my other brethren or whatever the case may be. Every one of the commandments. And that's when God will show how real he is in your faith and he'll assist you to do that. In my own example, and just a few moments here left, there was a time earlier in my life when I worked in corporate America and I was an ops manager and I got called up by corporate to go up and work on this huge proposal. Mm -hmm. And this was a very important program for the company. It was very needed. You know, we needed to win this program. And I was in a position where I was leading the writing of a big chunk of this proposal. And they were all working six days a week. They worked on Saturday. Well, I keep Sabbath. I'm in a quandary. I need to work. I need to help do this. And so I prayed about it. And finally, I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go talk to the boss. So I went to the president of the company. I sat down with him and I said, his name was Jack, and I said, Jack, look, we really need to win this contract. I am committed to helping us win this contract. I'll do whatever is necessary. I said, but I got a problem. As you see, I've learned that God blesses me. If I obey him, he blesses me. If I disobey him, I I get curses. I want to make sure that everything that I do here brings a blessing to the company and what's going on. And for that reason, I need to find a way where I don't work on the Sabbath. Now, if you'll let me, I'll work on Sunday instead of Saturday, and I guarantee you I'll put out more work on that Sunday than you could have ever gotten out of me on that Saturday. (laughs) And I want to make sure that the company gets the blessing instead of the curse, you know, that I get for disobeying. Well, let me tell you what my boss did. Uh, My boss wrote a memo and commanded everybody else in the program, nobody works on that proposal on Saturday. We'll all work from Sunday to Friday. And I did not violate the Sabbath, and we worked and we wrote that proposal. Now, here's the final story. Um, We lost the contract. I was promoted to director. You received the blessing. I got the blessing. (laughs) And that's the encouragement I would offer to anybody trying to figure out how to keep Sabbath. Excellent. Well, Charlie, we hope that helps you. Please let us know if you need further clarification. And folks, if you would like your question answered on Good Questions, Real Answers with Monty, please send an email to qa at lionlamb.co, not .com, .co, and we will be sure to get back to you either with an email response, or we might even use your question right here on the program. We hope you'll join us each week as Monty brings explanation and clarification to the questions you have. And Monty, if you'd like to close us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we had together. Thank you for our brethren. And Lord, uh, bring their questions in so that we could edify them, strengthen them, build them up in their most holy faith. And I ask, Lord, that you'd pour out a blessing on my brethren as they learn to obey your commandments. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. See you next week.